The Pulse of Providence with Steph Machado on WPRI.com. Hello and welcome to the second episode of Pulse of Providence. I'm Steph Machado and we have an episode today about the topic that is on everybody's minds right now, especially if you're a parent, a kid, a teacher. Are schools reopening this fall and what is it going to look like? And I want to welcome our guest, the top education official in the state, Angelica Infante Green, the commissioner of the Rhode Island Department of Education. Uh, commissioner, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So today, we're taping this on Friday, uh, July 31st. Today is the deadline for districts to put their reopening plans up on their websites. Now, this is still the three different scenarios, so it's not like we're finding out today if schools are reopening, right? We've got the full in-person scenario, the hybrid, a couple different hybrids, and the full distance learning. Um, I'm wondering, you know, you have the most direct control over what happens in the Providence schools because of the state takeover, and this is a show about Providence. So I want to know, as of today, as right now, do you think it is likely that Providence school school children, all 24,000 of them, are going to go to school in, in a classroom on the first day of school? Um, I think we're going to have a variety. Um, one, uh, you know, today is the day that it's due. Um, some of them will not be able to post, and we have given them permission not to post today because some of oh. the plans have gotten, yeah, some of the plans have gotten significant feedback, and we want people to get it right. Um, we've learned that uh, it's really important for the community to see something that reflects their voice. So I think that's important for us. Will all the kids be back? Um, I don't think so. What I think is that parents have a choice. They, some parents do not feel comfortable and they will have a choice of either having their, their child go online or in person. And we have heard for, I can't tell you how many emails I get a day from parents who say, I need my, my student to go back, my child to go back because they didn't benefit as much from distance learning or this is our situation um, or I'm afraid and I don't want my child to go back. So what we know that we have to do, and it is our responsibility as a state and as Providence to provide that choice for parents. And I want to ask you about that because, you know, you said this at the, at the uh, weekly coronavirus briefing on Wednesday, the governor did too. The governor said no one's going to be forced to go back to school. You said, you know, there's going to be options. A lot of districts were planning to have virtual options for if you were immunocompromised or you live with someone who's high risk. They weren't necessarily going to thinking they would be offering that to anyone who wants it, which is a whole different Ball game, right? You could have you could have half the families say we want distance learning, and then that really shifts your staffing. So is this something the districts are going to have to figure out, or yep. is the state okay? Because if, if the state's the one sort of making this promise that you're going to have this option, but there is there thoughts of a state virtual learning academy or something coming down from the state, or is this the district going to have to figure this out? Well, I, I think it's complicated because some districts did submit plans where they would have this option, right? So it's it's not that um, we're the only ones saying it. A lot of districts did a really great job of putting it in their plan and really putting out RFPs to bring in providers. Um, I would love to have a statewide, but we don't we, we don't have the money to do that right now, right? But the districts have that obligation to the families to provide a quality instruction regardless of um, what, you know, whether it's in person, 
at the brick and mortar or online. And, you know, even in Providence, which is, you know, the district that you have, the state has direct control over, Superintendent Peters at the school board meeting earlier this week, he kind of hedged, you know, he said, we're trying to offer this to all families, but I can't promise that. And why is that? Is that because you have to figure out the staffing? I mean, if you have half of every classroom, half the kids in every classroom decide to be virtual, I mean, you still have to have the teacher to staff that classroom mm -hmm. and you have to have the teacher to teach virtually. So logistically, how does this work if you're gonna promise this option? It's a nightmare. <laughs> it's a nightmare, I, I have to be honest. Um, but we wanted, and we will be responsive to the community. We just have to be innovative and think out of the box. And at the end of the day, we're gonna have to be flexible. And when I say we, I mean the entire community at large. It may not look like what we thought it would look like, um, but we, in order to keep our commitment, um, we're, we're gonna have to think out of the box. We are. And it may be that for the high school in Providence, we do virtual. Um, and, and it may not be every, we have prioritized elementary and in Providence, K to eight, right? We have prioritized that as well as ninth grade. So th there's priorities as we do this work. Do you think 10th, 11th and 12th graders in Providence should prepare themselves now that they're virtual learning full time? That's a possibility. Um, but what we're trying to do is give them even better options. So we're working on something that we'll be able to release in the next two weeks that is gonna give them, that parents are gonna be excited about, the students are gonna be excited about. I think we're trying to solve for a very big um, problem in taking advantage of this situation to provide families with bigger options than we were able to provide prior to this pandemic. Do you anticipate giving teachers the option of teaching in a virtual learning setting the same way that you would give that option to families? Because we hear a lot of teachers are worried about their exposure risk. Yeah, I, and you know, we are prioritizing teachers that are at risk. The, the, that's the priority right now. And it's all gonna be determined on um, just a lot of factors. But right now we have surveyed teachers that have an underlying disease or are immunocompromised. So we're putting health and safety first, right? And um, what that looks like, I can't tell you right now. But you can't promise teachers that if they feel it is not safe to be indoors with 15 to 30 people in a room, you can't promise them that they'll be able to teach from home. What I can say is that we'll figure out a way to work with the teachers. I, I can't say anything right now because these things are evolving, right? I, what I say today may be different than Monday. <laughs> That's the reality of this situation, right? Um, I do know that whatever we do, there's gonna have to be a lot more professional development for teachers. I think there's gonna have to be a lot of support. It's, everything is gonna look different. So it's gonna be reinventing a lot of things for us as, a com as an education community. Um, the virtual learning and all that you described as being a nightmare. Another logistical nightmare has been the busing. Um, it does sound like a lot of a lot of districts have been surveying parents saying, can you drive your kids to school? And a lot of parents are saying yes, which yep. is probably helping, but that's not gonna be the case in in Providence or urban communities where not every, you know, a lot of people don't have cars. I think in the suburbs, most parents have cars. So is there any update on how that's going? I mean, are you getting cooperation? You know, we also, the other problem is we use third-party bus companies. We don't, Providence yeah. doesn't have its own buses. 
even in cooperation from the bus company? Do they want anything in exchange for finding more buses or drivers or doing more routes? No, no. So we are getting cooperation. I think the challenge that we have is that we only have two bus companies. So that is something that in the future we're going to have to solve for. Um, the second challenge is that they don't have any more buses. <laughs> it's not even that can we give them something. To, there are no more buses, and there's a challenge of bus drivers. So there are many different layers to this um, situation. So that's why we have asked parents if they can. That would be great, um, especially if parents feel nervous about putting their kids on a bus, whatever the case may be. But we're looking for alternate solutions. But we'll know better once we know who's coming back and who's not. I think that's that's gonna it's gonna be a different type of conversation, right? So there's there's a lot of things that have to happen in a really short time, right? You're gonna make the decision about if schools are reopening. Parents have to tell their boss, okay, my kid's gonna be home on Wednesdays and Fridays, so now I need those days off. Well, we're not doing so. Steph, so one of the things that I need parents to know, we heard loud and clearly that this alternate day is is a problem, right? Okay. Be, so we have we have been working with the districts. That's why plans can't, they, this is evolving. Um, you know, I've had parents that said, well, how do I do this? Right? Like, how do, how do I figure this out? And how is this beneficial for my child? So we're working through all those things. Like we, A and B day has been, has been a topic of um, contention. So we are working with the districts to figure out what, who we prioritize. And that may mean that high school looks different, that middle school looks different. I think we need this time right now to gather that information and figure out. That's why um, the districts need a little more time. Well, let me ask you about that because the A and B day seem to be the prevailing theory um, even before that uh, July 17th deadline to get the draft plans in. School districts were sending emails home to parents and they were telling parents in Zoom forums, we're gonna do A and B day, your kid's gonna be in school two days a week and at home two days a week and then Monday's gonna be a everyone's at home day. Um, and this was before, I mean, they, this was before they even submitted the draft plans. It was almost like the full in-person scenario was just not even being considered. So it sounds like you're not okay with that. And what, no. what, what can you do? What like do, what level of autonomy do the districts have, putting Providence aside because they don't have autonomy, but what kind of autonomy do the districts have to decide what they're going to do or how much can Ride tell them, no, this, you cannot do this? Well, I think what, what's challenging is that we in the education business, we serve the community, right? If the community does not think that that's going to work, then we have to find a happy medium. And um, we heard loud and clearly before those plans even came to us, I have been bombarded with emails. The governor has been bombarded with emails saying this is just not going to work. And then it becomes an equity issue, right? Some parents can stay home. Some parents cannot stay home. Where does that happen? So there's a lot of things that still need to be worked out. Um, but I think when we said that parents will have um, the discretion, that changes the conversation, right? It changes who comes back, who doesn't come back. So if a district was planning for a thousand students and then let's say 300 parents decide that their kids stay, uh, will, will do um, distance learning, then now the district has to plan for 700. So it's a different kind of planning, right? I think that that's part of why the shift and why we need a little more time to, to get this down. But what we do 
know that districts are required, if you saw the metrics, that they be ready, right? That they be ready. We've always been saying that for whatever case scenario, that um, we put safeguards in place. And I think that's what people need to look at is also what are the safeguards that are gonna be in place if I decide to send my student back or if I, you, you know, all those ifs, what are the things that you need to see in place to feel more comfortable? Some parents already feel comfortable. So I think um, in terms of the jurisdiction, I think we're working together as a state that's what sets us aside from other states and has from the very beginning. So I don't think we're even having those conversations. What we're having is how do we solve for what's happening in each district and how can we provide them support? And so by offering the virtual learning option to any family that wants it, you're effectively lowering the class sizes for Correct. who's gonna be in Correct. person and that might allow more grade levels to be fully in person than what was previously That's planned. right. Because you got a lot of those plans that showed up in your inbox. Even the full in-person plans, uh, Bristol Warren said, we're not doing full in-person for high school, straight up. So was that like, I guess, what was your reaction to that? You said, well, I told you, you know, I told you to try and make a plan for full in-person. Well, we did tell everybody to try and do it. And everybody has gotten feedback about what our expectations are. We were pretty clear in our expectations. Um, we didn't tell them that which one we were going to enact, but our expectation was that there was a plan for each one of the four scenarios. That was important to us. And, um, you know, we're going back and forth. We've already given feedback to everyone. We've already started receiving um, plans coming back with revisions. So we're, we're working through all this. We, we've been working diligently. Um, so not trying was not an option. It's figuring it out, right? And, and in everybody's defense, this is very complex, right? Nobody's ever done this. So I, I want everyone to, as hard as it is, to understand that everybody's trying to do their best, right? Everybody's trying to figure this out. And that's how we want to approach it. But we are asking districts to figure out the four scenarios. Um, would you consider pushing the first day of school back at all because of all this planning that might need to do. You might need to wait until you get responses from all the families and and sort out what class and what bus you're gonna be on. Is that, mm -hmm. is that a consideration to change the first It might day? be, yes, yes, it might be because I'm, you know, we have plans, but plans are gonna need to shift. I have said from the very beginning that we have to be flexible. My goal is for us to be successful. And if I need to move things, if we need to move things, we will, because this is about students. This is about their education. This is about teachers. This is about us as a community. And in order to be successful, we have to do the right thing. And if that means pushing things back or bringing in teachers first, we, we're going to work through all of those things because all those things are on the table. Um, and are you committed to having a 180 day school year or could pushing the date back reduce the length of the school year? Um, we're working through that right now, to be honest, but all that we're considering. We're considering, you know, the calendar may start later. Um, we may, the days may look different. Uh, there's a lot of things that we're trying to put into um, the pipeline, but we'll know more in a week or so. To be honest with you, a week or so, if we sit down again, I can give you details. 
you and I have talked multiple times about students with IEPs. Um, a lot of them get specialized services that were really hard to provide virtually in the spring. Are, are you committed to having students with special needs with IEPs back in the classroom like 100%? Absolutely, that has been a priority population from the very beginning. We have heard from parents that it doesn't work for all the kids. We, we know that, we, we know that. Unless we can't come back, we are planning to have um, this population in person. That is really important to us. We've heard it. And um, we, we just, we want our kids to get what they need. And we will put in the safety measures and we welcome any conversation around that, but we have made that commitment. Unless we cannot come back because of the numbers. Let me make that clear. So unless the Department of Health says you can't even open the doors. Right. You're opening the doors even for a very limited hybrid. Those kids are coming, can come back to school unless their parents don't yep. want them. That's right. That's right. Okay. Um, and multilingual learners, not just them, but multilingual learners as well. Multilingual learners will have an in-person option. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about the Providence turnaround a little bit because this is a show about um, Providence in particular. Um, that's all happening in the midst of <laughs> trying to teach virtually and, and figure out if kids are even going back to school. Um, earlier this week, there were some new hires in the district. Um, there were some four principals that were hired. They replaced a couple principals that had been removed from their jobs, either demoted to assistant principal or moved elsewhere in the district. All, all four of the new principals are from out of state, from Boston to Kansas. You hired a state turnaround superintendent from out of state. Is this by design? Are you trying to, what, are you, what is the reason for hiring so much leadership that is not from within Rhode Island? I don't think it's intentional. I think we, um, we put out a call and these were the people that actually um, rose to the occasion. We had a very, very extensive process to interview people. It was, I think, four sessions. They had to do a project. The community also vetted them. So this wasn't us just making a decision. This was an entire process. Um, and they were the ones that came out on top. You know, there were, we had our internal team. We had another layer. We had the community. We're just looking for people that are able to deliver. That doesn't mean that local people are not part of this process and can't um, and and won't be selected to continue to be part of this process. Most of the principals that we have now, a good ninety percent, mm -hmm. are from Providence. So I think you know I know that it looks like that, but four new ones compared to you know the, you know the other 20, 17 that we have or sixteen, depending on some buildings may have two. I think it's 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 a drop in the bucket. Right, so I think that we have to start looking at what do, what do we want to do to change what's happening, and um, and it's also an opportunity for us to grow the talent that is here because there is a lot of talent, um, but we're just going to be working differently, right? We need some people that can see that, move in that direction, and that's that's a challenge. And these people just happen to be from outside. That doesn't mean that we didn't interview people. And I just want to make clear that we've also um, created positions that were filled by local people, right? right? I think that's one of the first moves. I also know that 
Suchin is also, you know, local. So yeah. I don't want it to become outside inside. I, it's a conversation about us getting stronger as a community of educators. Um, another piece of schools news this week was the city is looking for a $140 million school construction bond. The city council, again, we're taping this on Friday and the city council is going to vote on this bond tonight. Um, they, they put out a list of possible projects, which include a new school, um, K through eight school that, that you told us about before. Um, and also some swing space at the, um, windmill school. So yeah. it seems like we're getting closer and closer to a situation where decisions are being made about closing school buildings. Yep. When yep. will that come? And have, I mean, have, have you decided which yeah, school buildings so are just not worth fixing? Um, I think we're, we're, we're almost there. A lot is going to depend on the bond, right? A lot is going to depend on how quickly we can move. Um, but we've never had swing space. That is a game changer for us, right? But it's going to cost money to fix the swing space. So that changes a little bit the timeline on things. But um, we need to make investments, long-term investments in our school system, in our buildings. And, and I think this is the first step. And there will be schools that will be, or not schools, but buildings that will be offline um, that we just don't see working for us as a whole city plan. I think I've been very clear that I, I believe in K-8 schools. That doesn't mean that every school will be a K-8 school. I think we have to do better in the middle schools. We have huge middle schools. So there's a lot that we are going to get ready to present, but a lot of it is dependent on the bond and money and how fast we'll be able to move. But we are getting a building. We're really excited about that, that we intend to make a K-8 building, the first in um, Providence. So it's, it's a good time. You know, work has continued to move even though we're in a pandemic. And so if you open that school in, in, in the St. Joseph's Hospital building, which schools, like which kids from which schools would go there? Well, we're figuring that out, right? I think what we have learned um, during this pandemic is we transport kids all over the city, right? And we have to be very strategic about what kids will go there, what it will look like, what type of school. So all those things are being worked out at this present moment. Um, because it will take a little time, we do have that time, and we want to be really smart about the direction that the district will go in. So How I don't does have the, an okay. How does the pandemic um, impact the school construction and the attempts to renovate and put, use the swing space and build a new school? I mean, we don't even know if the school buildings are going to be open. How well, if the school buildings are not open and um, construction is still allowed to happen, then we're going to take advantage of that time and mm -hmm. move a little faster. Our timeline will be faster. So um, we'll see. It, we just hope that that industry is allowed, that we're in a good place, that that industry is allowed to continue to work because that would be in our benefit. Um, going back to the school reopening. Um, another thing that was said on Wednesday was that masks are, masks are going to be mandatory in school. There had previously been talk about you could take your mask off when you're in the classroom, um, in your in your stable pod. How do you how do you do mandatory masking in schools? Could, could you send a kid home if they don't wear a mask? No, no, absolutely not. That's what we're we're being very clear about. If a child comes in or a student excuse me, comes in without a mask, you, you provide them with a mask. 
There's no mask shaming. There is no, that, it, that's not what we're doing, right? This is about health and safety. This is not, you know, you don't have it, so you go home. No, this is this is where we, as the adults, um, the people that are running the school system, have to step up and say, okay, here we have it. You know, just like everywhere else. Here, grab a mask. You might have forgotten yours. You know, kids forget pencils. We give them pencils all year. So I think that's that's just part of our new process. And that obviously goes to the money issue because schools are trying to get a supply of masks and all mm -hmm. sorts, hand sanitizer and all sorts of other supplies. And we're hearing from superintendents that they don't they they don't have enough money. Is is there more money coming? Can you squeeze anything else out of you know, federal grants, or or can the state allocate more money? I mean, how how are districts going to be able to afford this? So we do. Um, the governor's office does have some masks, so we will be distributing masks the same um, way we will be distributing thermometers. I think that there's um, a big push and initiative in that part. Do we have more money? Not right now. We, we just don't, right? And that's why it's one of the metrics. Do we have the supplies that we need to be able to open up the building safely, right? Those, those are the conversations that we're having and that's gonna be part of our checkoff. But that's our responsibility as educators and as leaders of, in the education field to provide that for the schools. We are hoping, we keep hearing that there will be um, more money coming our way. And I think the federal government understands that we, we do need more money. Like right now, superintendents are very hard pressed to do what they need to do if we don't get additional funds. All right, that is all the time we have. Uh, Commissioner Angelica and Ponte Green, thank you so much for joining me on the Pulse of Providence and for everyone else watching, we'll see you next time.